All right, so let's jump in. We're going to be in Philippians, and I am I'm excited to start um, this new series. And, and what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go through the book together. And so, you know, a lot of times we've been, um, there'll be different stories in the Bible that we'll talk about and, and, and just uh, study. But this time what we're actually going to do is we're just going to go through the book of Philippians together. And it's a great one. It's short. It's only four Four chapters, so we won't be in there for years. But uh, we're going to spend some time and just walk through that uh, together. So let's go ahead and start with Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So as we uh, go through this book, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to do that. One is that Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. So they're, they're the uh, Philippians. They're in this city called Philippi. And so they're the Philipp- like if we live in Texas, you might call us Texans, right? So they're the Philippians. And so he's writing it to this church that's actually a church plant. And so us being a church plan, I thought that's kind of a fitting, kind of a cool uh, thing for us to do is walk through this book together. But also there's so much, even though it's a short book, even though it only has four chapters in it, there's so much meat in the book of Philippians. There's so much just good that I want us to talk about over the next few weeks. And like there's encouragement for the Christian life. If you think about how just difficult, how hard the Christian walk is, there's so much encouragement for the Christian Christian walk, Christian life. There's reminders throughout the book of Philippians that our foundation for joy, our foundation for happiness isn't built on our circumstances. Like for example, if Christ is your rock, it doesn't matter if the winds and the storms are raging against you, the seas are crashing up against the rock. If Christ is your rock, that's your foundation. That's your your foundation for joy. That's your foundation for peace. That's your foundation for hope. And so the book of Philippians talks about how um, when we have Jesus, if he's our foundation, if he's our centerpiece, um, that's that's the foundation for our joy and our happiness, not not our circumstances. And so often in in life, we allow our circumstances to dictate our hope, joy, peace. But but Paul talks in Philippians about how that's not the center for it. Philippians talks about um, Christian friendship. It talks about um, the importance of unity in the church. And there's so many as we walk through the book of Philippians, there's going to be a lot of verses that you'll recognize. There's going to be a lot of verses that are like, oh man, I've, been, I've heard that verse my whole life, right? Like for example, one that's, that we all love a whole lot is Philippians 1, 21 is for me to live as Christ, for me to live as Christ and to, to die as gain, right? That's, a, that's one that we know a lot. There's one that's probably one of the most popular verses of all time, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's one that we know a lot. And so as we walk through this book, we'll, we'll look at these verses and you maybe will see them in a new light. Maybe see um, that Paul is talking about them in maybe a way that we'd never really realized or thought. So I'm excited to study for that reason, for those reasons, and so many more, right? And as we jump into the book of Philippians what do we got to do first? If you know me, what do we got to do first? History. We got to know the context, right? We want to look back. We want to go back and look at the context, the history a little bit. And so uh, first, that's important to know. One reason why Paul can teach through the book of Philippians that our joy and our peace isn't found in our circumstances is that he's writing this letter to this church plant while he's in prison. 
<laughs> so what had kind of happened, this is actually a thank you letter. They had sent him some stuff. They had sent him like a care package. And so he writes the letter to the Philippians back as a thank you to the church and while he's in prison. So he's kind of going through that. And, and one cool thing that's, this pro- really probably doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I really liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. And so whenever you read the book of Philippians, this will be a cool thing for you to remember, is that uh, the Philippi, the city where the Philippian church uh, was located in, was famous for and began because, you may, might recognize some of these names, there was a battle that took place there. There's a lot of battles that happens that have to do with the Bible, right? And this battle was the armies of Mark Antony and Octavian, you ever heard any of those names? Mark Antony and Octavian had chased down the Roman Republic forces that were led by Brutus and Cassius. You know who those guys were? A two Brute, right? Brutus, right? Y'all remember that? They were the guys that killed Caesar. So they're that, the famous line, right? A two, come on, man! You're, you're supposed to be my friend. You're killing me, right? And so that's, that battle takes place here. They finally chase them down and they kill um, Cassius and Brutus, the assassins of Julius Caesar. And the way that this city began, or this colony took place, or began, was the victors of that battle. A lot of them liked the place. Look around, like this is a pretty cool place to live. They settled there. And so that's the history. That's how this colony, this city of Philippi um, began, was it was some soldiers that settled there after they um, defeated uh, the assassins of Julius Caesar. And so this city um, was, it was a Roman colony. This city was, they tried to be like Rome. It's kind of like a little Rome. And so what's, why that matters is it becomes this important city for trade, for um, uh, like a, kind of like a cultural melting pot. And so it's actually a really great place to plant a church because you have people coming in. It becomes this huge stopping place on the world market and in ship transit. So as we look, as we kind of go back and look more at the history, you'll see that Paul never really wanted to be there in the first place. But it's important when we listen to God and we pay attention to what God wants because this ended up being a phenomenal place to plant a church. Because what happens is as these people are coming in, trading and from all these different um, areas, they get saved and they begin to bring the gospel out. They spread the gospel out, right? Because they're not just staying in that place, but they're going out. So Philippi ends up being this phenomenal place to plant a church. So as we look at um, Philippians, it would make a whole lot of sense that we would study the book of Philippians, right? Well, we're going to do that, but first we're going to go back and we're actually going to look at the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to chapter 16 in Acts. And what I actually want to do as we look at the context is I think that it's important for us to see how the church in Philippians or how the church in Philippi was started. As it, with it being a church plant, I think it's pretty cool because the Bible in, in Acts 16 actually tells us how the church was planted, how it began. And so I thought as we study uh, the book of Philippians, what, what would be better than going back and seeing how God started this church? So let's jump in and I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 6, or excuse me, 16 verse 6. It says, they went through the region of Man, I'm going to mess up a lot of these names, so y'all just forgive me. They went, <laughs> they went through the region of Phyagra, I don't know, that's a, can you say that in church? And Galatia, and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to My- Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, um, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them, so bypassing that place, they came down to 
that other place. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made our efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize to them. So there's, even before we, there's some really cool things that just happened there. And it starts with, in verse 6, they went through this region of wherever. And it it says, and they were prevented by the Holy Spirit of speaking the message in Asia. So why is that important? I'd said earlier that Paul um, didn't even really want to be in Philippi. Paul had this heart. He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go spread the gospel in Asia. He wanted to go teach in Asia. But as we see here, his heart is doing this, but he's following God and the Holy Spirit saying, I don't want you to do that yet. What I want you to do first is go to Macedonia. And so what happens is, is Paul obeys God and he goes to Macedonia. And what ends up happening is the first European church plant. It begins. And so on his way to Macedonia, he stops in Philippi, where, and Philippi becomes the first European church plant. So because Paul listened to God instead of doing what he wants, we see this beautiful thing happen. And I think that that's important because what we see Paul doing is not being so stubborn like maybe some of us are sometimes. Like what we see Paul doing is, even though he has this desire, he's saying, This is what I want, these are my plans. He's paying attention to the Holy Spirit and he's listening to God and he's saying, okay, God, you have a different plan. So I think that as, just, as we just stop right there, it's important for us to step back and, and, and say this, man. I think that it's important for us as Christians to allow God the freedom to direct our paths. Like that sounds obvious, right? But, but here's the thing that we are... Maybe some of you are like this, maybe not. A lot of us love, especially here, man, the American mindset, right? We're, we're go-getters, right? We have the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the 20-year plan. We have the, I'm going to live in this place. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to do this, this, this. Like, we love to plan it out. Well, sometimes God's plans aren't exactly our plans, right? Have you ever learned that, that lesson before, right? And so, like, if you're like me, I, the first thing I do every morning is I go over my to-do list, right? I have, a, I have a whiteboard in my office, and I have a to-do list for the day, a to-do list for the week, right? You're just, like, chopping, like, right? Because it gives you, this is what I get to go after today. This is what I'm attacking. This is what I'm doing, right? We love that. But as Christians, that's, that's very great. That's good. But as Christians, we have to allow God the freedom in our lives to change our plans, to shake things up a little bit for us. Because what happens if we don't is if, say Paul had said, you know what, God, I, I know that you're saying here, but I really just want to go to Asia. Who knows what kind of a nightmare that might would have been. And instead, as, as Paul follows God step by step saying, okay, I don't even really know why we're going here, but you're calling me to go here. I'm going to take this, this step. Even on the way to Macedonia, we see a church get planted. We see the gospel spread. We're reading a letter that Paul wrote because he obeyed God in that moment. And that's a key for us. I was um, thinking this week about times like that that have happened in my own life. And in college, uh, I had to do, we were, we were supposed to do an internship at a church. And so I'd had a few different opportunities. There was a guy that was kind of a mentor of mine that offered me an opportunity to go and intern at his church on the coast. Um, there was another guy that Uh, had offered an opportunity for me to go and intern at their church. And this one, I was telling Joel this morning, my dad really wanted me to choose this one because it was a great church established. I would have learned a lot. And uh, what's funny is instead of doing that, I was praying about it and had a conversation with um, 
uh, Katie, Joel's wife, Katie, and we were just talking, and then and just some things stirred in me, and so I was praying about it. And having never been to this church, having never really even talked about this church, I was praying about it, and I felt like God was telling me, I want you to go do an internship at Joel's church. Never been to Joel's church before, right? I went to Joel, and I was like, dude, I know this is weird, man, but I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And Joel was like, You'd have to know the history of their church, but Joel's just kind of like, dude, I don't even know if we do interns at our church. I don't even know that's a thing that they they do. (laughs) But so I took that step, not knowing, I mean, I didn't even know anything about the church. I was just like, man, I just feel like this is what God wants me to do. I'm stepping out in in this. So the kind of the back end of that story is one, God totally changed my life. He gave me a new outlook on just spirituality, a lot of different things. He impacted me in a lot of deep ways that changed me forever. But secondly, I met this girl there. Yeah, easy. That uh, some of you guys may know ended up being my wife. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if I would have stayed in Texas, I would have met a girl somewhere, right? I mean, look at me, right? Look at this face. But, but it wouldn't have been her. God has a plan for you, and sometimes it's hard for us to step into that because we have our own plans and we have our own desires and we have um, what we think is best. But just hear it from me, man. What is best is not what you think is best, but what is best for you is what God says is best for you. And you step into that. Sometimes the hardest part about it is you step into that blindly sometimes. But that's the part about faith. Sometimes it's you got to be blind a little bit. Sometimes you're not in control when you step out in faith. But the beautiful thing about that is God never lets you fall, man. So even though we have our own plans, but I just want to encourage you, like Paul does here, his beautiful example here, is when, when don't, don't be so, don't hold your plans so tightly that you won't allow, allow God to wreck those plans a little bit. Don't hold on to them so tightly that you won't allow God to wreck those plans a little bit. And remember that our task as a Christian, our task as, as a disciple, is to faithfully carry out God's work for you day by day. So a lot of us planners, we like to have the big plans, the big dreams, the the big whatever. But remember that as a Christian, your task is simply to follow Jesus right now. You don't have to know the 10 years down the line. You don't have to know the one year down the line. We don't necessarily have to know the two weeks down the line. It's good to know those things. But remember, the most important thing you can do is follow what God is telling you to do right now. And don't always be, don't wait till like this future thing happens. Right? There's, this, there's a lot of times what I mean by that is people will say, well, when we have kids or when I get married or when I graduate college, when I do this, then this will happen, then that will happen. Follow God's direction in your life right now. Don't wait. It's a today thing, man. Follow it today. Like it could be as simple as um, like God wants to use your life right now. He wants to use you now. So it could be something as simple as taking a coworker out for coffee that needs it that had a tough day. It could be something as simple as getting to know your neighbors a little bit better. It could be something, who knows, right? But God is actively using you or actively wants to use you today, tomorrow, the next day. And it doesn't have to be this huge, big, world-changing thing where you're out on the side of the streets with signs yelling, you know, turn or burn, you're all going to die, right? Sometimes it's as simple as taking somebody out for coffee who needs it and loving on them. Those are ways we show people Jesus. Does that make sense? So know that. Walk in that. Experience that. Let God direct your path daily. Daily. Let's move on to uh, verse 11. 
So they, they, they headed out to Macedonia. Then setting sail for Traos, Traos, something, that we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day at Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is the, a leading city in the district of Macedonia. So like I said, they, they end up in Philippi, which had become this, this leading, booming city. We stayed in that city for a number of days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul, and after she, after, she and her household were baptized, and she urged us, if you consider me a believer... And the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So what Paul liked to do was what his kind of evangelism strategy was he would go to these different cities and he would find the, the temples. So like the Jewish temple where the Jews would come and worship on the Sabbath. And he would go to that place and he would preach and he would teach the gospel. He would teach them and tell them about Jesus. Well, they go to Philippi and there's no synagogue there. So he finds the next best thing, a, a women's Bible study. He goes and finds this woman's prayer group that's meeting down by the river. And he shows up and he begins to teach and he begins to, to talk. And here we see the first of these three encounters that we're going to talk about today. This is a, the first one um, with this woman, Lydia. And what we, the Bible tells us a few things about Lydia. One thing we know that she's a woman of wealth. She's a dealer in purple cloth. So purple was an expensive cloth to have. So she's this dealer in this purple cloth. She's this rich woman. The Bible says that she feared God. So she's someone who, even though she wasn't a Christian yet, she loved God. She cared about God. She wanted to, to know God deeply. And we see God open her heart and we see her, she, herself and her whole, her whole household become Christians. What happens is Paul goes and he's talking about the scriptures. He's teaching the scriptures and she gets saved. And I just, as a side note, I love this story for this reason. There is this woman who woke up and didn't know Jesus, and when she went to bed, she did. And I think about us as a church, and I think about us as a church plant, and I want that to, that should be our heart so much. As I, as I think about um, earlier about talking about letting God direct our path, not just in the big, huge, 10-year plan, but in the daily steps, step by step by step. It's this idea of being a missional person who every day we set out on mission to be a life changer. And when we think of life changing, we think of, again, these huge drastic things. But being a life changer literally doesn't have to be like giving someone a million dollars. Being a life changer means loving people daily. Being an encourager at your workplace, being an encourager in your household, being an encourager to your friends, loving on your, your neighbors. Take, again, taking people out to coffee when you know somebody's having a bad day. And we see Paul who is constantly thinking in this missional way. Like before we're Christians, everything is about me. Everything is intrinsically focused on ourselves. And as we're Christians, God begins to change us to where the world's not about me. I don't view the world as about me, but I view the world as now an opportunity for God to use my life. And so I want our church to be, I want us to be a missional people, a people who get to see really cool things happen, like people waking up one morning not knowing Jesus, and then when they go to bed, they do. I love this picture of, of people coming to the river and getting saved and knowing Jesus, coming in here not knowing him and having him impact their life, slamming their life in this beautiful way from when they leave this place on a Sunday morning, now they do. And now they do have a relationship with Jesus. I love that idea. 
And I want to see God do that. And I want to let you know that God wants to use your life to do that as well. He wants to use your daily life step by step to do that as well. And so we see this beautiful thing of this this woman waking up, not knowing Jesus, going to the river for a prayer meeting, and then at the end of the day, her and her whole family do. Let's check out the next encounter, starting in verse 16. It says, Once we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl uh, met us who had a spirit of prediction. So she's, she's like demon-possessed, basically, with like this Miss Cleo spirit. You know who Miss Cleo is? I remember that? All right. This Miss Cleo spirit. She, she made a large profit for her owners, so her, her owners were using her to, to make money for this uh, um, fortune-telling stuff. Um, she made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are pl- proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the slaves or servants of the Most High. And she did this for many days. So can you just imagine, this would be kind of annoying, right? As, as you're walking around, this, this girl's just following you, screaming out this stuff, right? So it says, So Paul was greatly aggravated. (laughs) Paul's real patient, right? Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When our owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt and practice. So basically, the guys that were her owners got mad because now they can't make money off of her anymore. It says, Then the mob joined in and attacked them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. And they, receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet and stocks. So our second encounter, we see this slave girl that they meet on the road. She's making all this money for her owners with this spirit of prediction, and we see Paul cast this demon, this spirit, out of her. It's this crazy stuff keeps happening, right? Like, just crazy, man. Moving on, verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Again, talking about not allowing your circumstances to dictate um, your joy and your hope, right? I mean, if I'd just been stripped naked, had the junk beat out of me, and then thrown in prison, I'm not going to be in a great mood. How about you? Right? Some of y'all this morning are like, oh, it's so early, right? And you're just like, imagine getting beat up and then thrown in jail, right? And these guys are praising and worshiping God. So suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone in chains, everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Then the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he escorted them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Then the, so they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and all of his family were baptized. He brought them to his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed in God with his entire household. This third encounter is probably my favorite because 
they're sitting in jail, right? They're praising God in spite of their circumstances. And then you see God earthquake, shake the ground, set them free, and they don't leave. Like, if, again, if that's me, I'm singing, gates open, I'm like, peace. Thank you, Jesus. I'm out, right? right let's do that. Let's go. Let's get out of this crazy town before they do this stuff again, right? But Paul and Silas don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because they realized that it was about more than just them. Right? Why does the jailer pull his sword to kill himself whenever he, he wakes up and thinks everybody's gone? Because the punishment for losing your prisoners was death. This man was going to get beaten and killed. So he's just going to go ahead and just cut out a couple steps, right? So Paul and Silas, instead of saying, let's get out of here, peace, what they saw, thinking missionally again, Paul realizing this isn't just about me, Paul looks around and says, you know what this is? This is an opportunity for us to share Jesus with this jailer. This is an opportunity for us to show God to this man who has no hope, who knows no Jesus, who's going to kill himself if we leave. Again, if that's me, I, I mean, it would be so easy for Paul to have just thought that was just about him, right? I mean, Paul's thinking, I'm a, I'm a missionary, I'm doing God's work, God's done this miraculous thing for me, thank you, Jesus, I'm out, right? He, if, if that's me, I'm thinking that God was just doing that for me. But Paul realized that that situation was about so much more than just him. This, this was about an opportunity for someone else to know Jesus. That, that is the beautiful thing about thinking with a missional mindset, being a church with a missional mindset, being a people with, that are missionally minded, is that our lives aren't about ourselves anymore. They're about the mission. And the mission is so much bigger and so much more beautiful than ourselves. And as I think about us, as we, as we set that in a framework of Mike, myself, or, or you, what this challenges me to do is to look at the blessings in my life, to look at not just financial blessings, but all of the blessings in my life, the things that God has done for me, the things that he has given me. Because so often when God blesses us, we're like, thank you, Jesus, you must love me so much. You're just so good to me to bless me this way, right? But what if God's like, I'm not just doing this for you, like, if, what if our mindsets were changed away? Like this isn't just something God is doing for me, but he's doing this because he wants to use my life. And not like, a, oh, God's blessed me, now I have to do this. No, God's blessed me, now I get to be a part of something so much more than myself. I love this, and so I want to challenge us this morning, challenge myself to when God has blessed me, when God is doing these things in my life, to see it as something bigger than just, look what God's doing for me but look what he's given me the opportunity to do because of what he's doing in me and for me and through me. It's a beautiful thing. It's exciting, really, if you think about it. And, it's, and, it's, and really, it's better than the alternative. And what I mean by that is so often, um, whenever we go through hard times, like get sick or um, just whatever it is, those are the times that we're like, God, God must be doing this so I can bless somebody else, brother, Right? Like, because like, it's so much, it's a lot easier to cope that way. Like, God's not punishing me. God's doing this so that someone else can be blessed, right? That helps us deal with it a little bit easier. For me, I'd rather be like, God, bless me and let me use that to bless other people. I'd rather be used that way, wouldn't you, right? Like, yeah, God, give it, right? Yeah, so let's, maybe, I don't know, maybe if we do that, maybe he'll bless us more. I don't know. That's not, that's not in the Bible. It's just like, so don't, like, well, pastor said, <laughs> pastor said. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. All right, moving on. Verse 35. So when daylight came, 
Yeah, we're just going through the whole book of Acts, guys. We're going to finish it. So when daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to us, they beat us in public without a trial. Although we were Roman citizens, they threw us in jail, and now they're going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not. So Paul's a little tough to deal with. You know, Paul's a Roman citizen, you know, and they actually jailed him illegally. And so because he's a Roman citizen, they weren't allowed to do what they did. So like, hey, man, uh, go ahead, y'all can leave. Paul's like, uh-uh, oh, no, I ain't easy, that easy to get rid of, right? I'm not that easy to get rid of. So he says, on contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. So Paul's like, y'all, y'all brothers are going to come apologize for what y'all did to me. It says, then these police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them and escorted them out. They urged them to leave the town. Like, all right, please just go, Paul, please, right? So after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and departed. <coughs> so this, this, this chapter here ends with them going back to Lydia's house, the girl that it began with. And he says they, what, they came and encouraged the brothers and sisters that were there. And what has happened is there's already this church plant stirring. There's already this church plant brewing in this woman, Lydia's house. Again, talk about someone who, thinking of your circumstances as a way to bless others and not just about me. She's this woman who's financially blessed, probably had a big house. She said, hey, man, let's have church in my place. And so what we see is, is the beginnings, the stirrings of this beautiful Philippian church that Paul writes this letter to. And the beginning of this church, I love this. This, is, this, the, this part's really why I wanted to talk about this because I just thought this was cool. The beginning of this church consists of the rich woman, Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer, along with some others who they begin to gather. And if you think about it, these are three extremely different people. You have this woman, Lydia, who was rich. She was probably Asian. Um, she was someone who got saved because of Paul's really good teaching. Like Paul, not, I mean, not because of Paul, Jesus did the work, okay? But Paul comes in and it was his teaching that, that led her to Jesus. Then we see this, this girl who's a slave girl. She's poor, she's Greek, she's, her life is in turmoil. I mean, she's a slave. It doesn't get a whole lot worse than that, right? Her life's in turmoil and she's saved because of Paul's deeds and actions showing her Jesus, right? And casting out that demon. And then finally, we see this jailer, this blue-collar worker who's just doing his thing, man, just, just living life, just being this, the, the jailer, you know, just, just trying to make ends meet for his family, just doing his thing. He's probably a little bit indifferent. We see him get saved. God saves him through Paul's example. Hey, man, we're staying right here. We're not going anywhere because we want to show you Jesus. And I love this because this is a beautiful picture of what the church should look like. It's totally diverse. It's people of three totally different ethnicities who came to know Jesus in three totally different ways. I love this picture, right? And that is, I hope, I mean, this is the beginnings of this church plant, man. And this is a, a hope that I have for the river that we would have a whole church of people who um, have come to Jesus in different ways, have found him different ways, or from all different types of backgrounds and have all different types of stories. And you say, Mike, why do you, why do you care about that? Because this is the beautiful thing that God does, man. He walks in and he changes people's lives no matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the 
church your whole life or you don't even know the name of Jesus, man, God can save you and change you and transform you and heal you and do beautiful things in your life, right? And I want to see that happen in here. And I don't want to limit how God can save and change and challenge and use and heal and restore, right? I want God to fill this place up with people who are like, dude, I was like on drugs about to die and God saved me. And people who are like, I went to church my whole life and was hardened to the gospel. And then one day God just awakened me and I love him. I want to see all sides. And it's through seeing all sides of that spectrum that we know we get the privilege of knowing God in deeper ways, right? Because it's like, wow, God radically saved you. Tell me about that. Let me hear you about it. Wow, praise God. Isn't he good? This is what he did, right? We get to know him. And then all sides of that. Ah, oh, man, that's, that's my hope. I'm, I, I love that, right? And so as we study Philippians, as we study this beautiful picture of this, this church, man, let's, let's remember that. Let's remember the beautiful beginnings of this place, how, Paul sa- or how God saved these people, these three people in radically different ways. And they all, like, radically different people saved them. They experienced God in radically different ways. I love that. So as we read Philippians 1 and 2 again, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ, to all the saints in Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. These opening words that Paul speaks to this church that he helped start. Remember, a church that he helped start and began because... He was faithful to listen to God step by step, even when he might not necessarily have wanted to. Paul was on his way to Asia, and God said, no, I'm leading you here. And instead, we see this beautiful church begin, a church um, that Paul desperately, and not, that he deeply loved, that he had this deep compassion for, this church that um, he writes this letter to, this letter that now we get to study and learn so much from this This. It's just a beautiful picture. And so I'm excited as we walk together through this book the next few weeks. I want us to remember the history of this church. I want us to remember how it was birthed. And I want us to see, and Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Because it really is this beautiful picture of grace. Grace in how in the beginnings. Grace in how he saved Lydia, how he saved the slave girl, how he saved the jailer. Grace in how he saved Paul even. Like Paul, if you don't know Paul's background, Paul was a guy who was murdering Christians and then God saved him and now he's writing letters to the church. Grace even in our own lives. Let us not forget the grace in our own lives of how God has saved us. And if he hasn't saved you, man, know that there's grace and love for you. That God deeply desires that relationship with you. And so I want to ask you to stand with me and we're going to just worship the Father together. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you for this this beautiful church. Help us to learn from them. Help us to, as we study this this book of Philippians, help us to um, learn deep, deep truths about you and that it would draw us closer to you, Father. Help us to be a church and Christians, men and women who live missionally, men and women who who follow you step by step and see our, our daily lives as opportunities to be used by you. It's a beautiful grace that you've given us, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.